Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. It's been three years since chanting protesters and police clad in body armor took over Portland's streets during the racial justice protests of 2020. I know some of us were out on the front lines, but I think most people remember those nights through the images that were captured by photojournalists and documentarians. They were out there, mixed among the protesters, dodging rubber bullets and clouds of tear gas. Today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with documentary photographer Ryan Dundon and Oregonian senior photojournalist Beth Nakamura about their experiences documenting those protests. Ryan's new book, Protest City, collects the photos that he shot on those chaotic days. It's Thursday, August 31st. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Ryan, Beth. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So I want to go back to, you know, May of 2020, when all of this was starting to get underway. I mean, both of you are seasoned photographers, but did you guys have a sense of what you were getting into when this was starting? No, I guess not. I mean, I don't think anybody had a sense that it was going to reach the levels that it did. I guess after that first night, I had a sense that there was things were going to going to keep going. So... It, did, it didn't feel like it um, was going to be confined to the those early days. So. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, Beth, you've spent a lot of time shooting all sorts of things. Like, what were those early days like for you? Yeah, it was a blur. You know, I remember, if I look back, I, I always was uh, using my phone and shooting video here and there. So I actually have this sort of little video diary in a way, although it, I never intended it as that. I think I was more... Uh, witnessing myself, witnessing this thing in a way. So as a result, I have, you know, oodles of little clips on my phone that go back to those early days. And if I look at them, you know, it's a blur. Uh, We were sleep deprived for months, if not years. Uh, I didn't go every night. I shared that load with, um, you know, my colleagues. Uh, So so that kind of skews my perception of it a little bit. You know, if you're not there every night, you you don't have as clear a a picture. You've got some missing puzzle pieces. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're all sort of in that space of, of, of remembering, both remembering what it was like and sort of having this emotional memory of that time, but also... Um, you know, both of you are were there and, and documenting it. So you have all these images that you pulled together. True. And the image represents sort of like, well, here's literally what I saw. But then, yeah. you know, your brain can do funny things with memory, you know? Yeah. How did you decide what to capture? How were you making decisions about what to shoot when you were out there? I think there was a, you know, the, the, the world and the United States and the role of technology and all the ways in which the culture just continues to move uh, it changed so much. Uh, I remember in the early days, consent. Well, consent was an issue throughout this 
protest movement, but I had never really experienced that before to the extent that I did now. And I think that has mm -hmm. to do with uh, changes uh, in privacy, changes in how we, our relationship to privacy. Cameras were cops throughout, you know, especially later stages of these protests. Mm -hmm. So I would be on a, I'd be on a bridge with like eight plus thousand people and there would be an expectation that I would ask for consent, which is almost impossible, but I would hold my camera up over my head and I would just pan. I would literally walk across that front line and I would be mm -hmm. nodding my head with my thumbs like, are we okay? And people would nod yes or no. Like I literally had to do that. What were your relationships like down there? Your relationships with the protesters? Like, did you have any relationships with the police? Like, how did you guys manage that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I made sure I was not having any kind of relationships with anybody. I mean, I guess looking back, so the protesters could see, you know, they could observe our behavior on the ground yeah. and see, you know, make decide for themselves who they wanted to talk to and whether they wanted to talk to and their relationship, it, it would change. Was that the same for you, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, it was a, it was a community. It was a culture for three months. So it was a lot of the same people every night. And it was almost like showing up for work, like, Hey, clocking in, here you go. <laughs> and that was, you know, there was that camaraderie with the journalists, but also for those of us who were friendly with, with some of the activists, you know, we had that same thing. I think, the nights went on and there's definitely people who Portland's a small town. I see, I see people around all the time who I, who I know from the protests. And um, I think there's a sense that we've all, that we were all there together at the same place. I, I do want to go back, you know, Beth and I and other journalists might've gotten tear gassed or batoned once or twice, but for the most part, we know the rules. You stay on the sidewalk, you don't get tackled usually. Right. And so mm -hmm. like, you know, while they were rushing protesters up the street, we're on the sidewalk taking pictures. We were in a much safer position. And, and I understand there was a lot of communication among journalists that you were all out there at the same time, that there was like group chats that were going on. Uh, they have, in some cases, persisted long since those protests have ended of the people who are all out there documenting it. And um, I wonder what that community has been like for the two of you. Well, that was an un unexpected sort of little delight that came out of all of that chaos, came this kind of cohesion among uh, a sort of loose band of us who were regulars out there who sort of played by the journalistic rules and um, who together were stronger than separate, which is mm -hmm. different than how you would think on a, a non-conflict situation. You know, these that's your competitor, or you, you tend to just sort of be a little lone wolfish in how you pursue your work. Uh, but, but something else emerged out of this, and I think that's um, kind of lovely. You know, I, I even, you know, there's this real, there's a culture uh, that formed and are still in the signal chat, actually. <laughs> I'd love to hear any stories that you have, that something that sticks in both of your minds as like, this is the night that I just keep thinking of? Well, it's not the best memory, but I got pretty roughed up by the federal marshal, the, the marshals one night in front of the courthouse. And Justin Yao, who's a local photographer and videographer, got the video of it. It's like, uh, it went like kind of lightweight viral on Twitter. And I got, I got really ragdolled and a, a flashbang canister or tear gas canister ignited on my back. I got third degree oh burns gosh. and, then the 
the cops like holding me under the smoke for like 10 seconds. You can count it on the, on the video. Um, and I, I was almost passing out before he let me up. They, they tore my press pass off pretty, pretty, uh, flagrant, but, and I, I was able to run off and kept working that night. But funny thing is the next day people are calling me. They're like, so that my picture's in the New York times, my picture's on the AP wire. And, um, this one picture in particular that Noah Berger from the AP took, and it's, it's very dramatic. It's, you can't see my face, but I'm kind of hunched in this cloud of smoke. And there's all these heavily armed camouflaged agents like looming over me. And, um, that picture ran all over the world with the caption of like protesters get attacked by police or whatever, federal police. Um, so it was interesting and, to me, it's fascinating it's the lives that, the lives that images take and 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 where they go to be on that other side of the lens inadvertently for this picture that moved around the world. Yeah, well, I want to hear what you remember too, Beth. But first, let's take a quick break. All right, Beth, what about you? What do you remember from those days? I was just thinking back to, you know, things that stand out about the protests that, or now looking back, you know, like I drive by Ventura Park and I just think of that 100th night and I, that's, that's a little piece of land that will still give me chills. I hear mm-hmm. that song guillotine in my mind. I don't know if you remember that Ryan by the coop. And like, if I heard that song on a protest night, I knew that I was in for a long night that, that was sort of like, you know, ready to rumble (laughs) if you listen to the lyrics of that song you know it's like Uh oh boy i'm I'm not going to be sleeping tonight Uh, or if i if i hear kendrick lamar you know sometimes it's just a little piece of audio that will you know just bring me back it's like sensory memories or you know a, a park that just looks so benign now but looking back was the sight of such strife, you know, like Ventura Park. And you have that picture, Ryan, of that, that guy's shoe, that guy who got, you remember the Molotov cocktails right outside the park on night 100? And and then you have that lone shoe. Because I got there late. That's right. I, sh- I showed up that night. <laughs> nobody there. Totally like em- empty. Ex- and there's except for like all the trash and there's this one burned shoe. I'm like, something happened. So I took that picture, but ended up finding everybody a few blocks away. But yeah, so that was the 100 night of protests. There'd been this kind of buildup, you know, there was this, I think the countdown, people started counting nights like 30 nights into it. So it was like, mm-hmm. there was already this setup, like how many nights can can we go? Mm-hmm. And so night 100 was always gonna be a big night, but I was late. And um, I know there was like thousands of people in that park before I got there, like a really big turnout. And then there was a standoff and then there were Molotovs thrown, which is what got everything cleared pretty quickly. So it was interesting to see these things play out in different parts of the city and the way law enforcement reacted downtown versus, you know, residential Far East Portland by Ventura Park or up on Lombard in North Portland. And uh, that, you know, night was 100 was a night that a lot of people were getting tear gassed in their homes in that neighborhood and just... Beth, you're nodding. It sounds like that resonates for you, too. Well, yeah, everything he's saying, you know, it's uh, it's vivid. You know, they were in the park for, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes. I mean, there was always sort of a little warm up. There would be this kind of, 
you know, thing forming between everyone. You could kind of feel it happen. Mm -hmm. Little slow burn, slow escalation, and then boom, they were out there on the street. Well, they were met by riot police. I think they were immediately a riot was declared. It was just instant chaos. And then Molotov cocktails. I mean, they were so close to us. You know, what stays with me about that night was we didn't really know what was going to happen. I suddenly just saw all these massive flames and 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 things being thrown. And I thought, are we going to get the shit bombed out of us here tonight? Like, we didn't know. There was no yeah. script. It was just kind of like in the early days. We didn't know. Those were the days. I don't even think we had a vaccine then. And we were kind of like guinea pigs for like, you know, we became probably a data point for people who were studying, you know, uh, the transmissibility or whatever the word is about about this, you know, like, we didn't know if we were going to die. You know, we didn't know any, we didn't have any of that information. Right? Do you remember? Yeah. No, I mean, COVID was a concern, but it, I mean, even at that point, that was the first week of September. So you're coming off the end of August when people were getting shot and killed downtown Portland during protests. I mean, it's wild. This was three years ago and you two are talking about it like it was yesterday. It is just so, so (laughs) vivid in in your brains. You know, I mean, and Ryan, you especially, I'm sure you've been spending a ton of time thinking back over this and going back over this and talking about this because you did just put out this book of your photography from the time. Um, And I'm wondering like, like what, what you're finding, what, what, what looks different, what you're learning about it, or if you feel like this whole experience changed you in in any way. Yeah, I think it probably changed me. Uh, My life looks a lot different now. uh, That's for sure. But it's hard to say. It's like, uh, you know, people are like, the protest messed up Portland. But then it's like, no, COVID messed up Portland. I don't know. One of those things got me. I'm not sure which oh. one. But um, <laughs> uh, no, nah, it's just like, you know, things move on anyway. But well, it's great about putting this book together and a real privilege to put this together with Oregon State University Press was the time, you know, we worked on the book for two years. So a lot of editing and going back over those pictures and conversations with people about how these pictures are fitting together and what they're saying now, you know, mm-hmm. one, two, three years later. Pictures always have a longer life. We talk about the the meaning of images shifting over time. And, you know, I, I think like these are historical events, these are significant events, and these pictures have a historical value. But, you know, you, you go back three years later and you see different things or you see different frames jumping out at you. Maybe the more subtle frames, the more nuanced frames, frames that you didn't find the first time around. Um, sometimes stronger or saying different things. What about you, Beth? How does it how does it look now to you three years out? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about my own work. I mean, I'm, it's interesting to be here with Ryan, whose work uh, early on uh, really caught my attention. Ryan himself caught my attention, actually, because I, I just couldn't believe his work when I first started seeing it. Maybe I think my favorite work to come out of the protest it's unvarnished, and that gives it a real authenticity. You feel like you really were there. This is incredibly honest work. It's it's a little bit undone. There's just there's something so fresh about every part of this that I I love it, and I'm glad to be here in conversation. Well, again, thank you too for for being here and for talking me through everything that you saw back then. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, John. Well, that's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend about it or rate us or leave us a review. 
I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Meza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with a lot more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>